Hello and welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. Welcome back to our Wilderness Years saga, where we're talking about all the major and minor appearances of Adam, Thanos, you know, uh, the Soul Gems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Basically, all the all the little bits and pieces you would have got from them while they were dead, until they come back, because it's comics. And right now, we are going to be talking some more Silver Surfer, issues 11 to 14, because that's really the only cosmic book Marvel had out at the time, to see what's going on with the saga of the Soul Gems, because they're still not called Infinity Gems. And since, well, if you listen to my first two parts of the Silver Surfer, you know who's back. Ben, what's up? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Ready for some cosmic partying. Yep. In costumes. Absolutely. Yep. Ready for some costume pirate and uh, cowboy outfits. That, that was, yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> that is weird. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to be talking about the mini storyline from Sober Surfer 11 to 14, which introduces some, well, for the time period, so, you know, uh, mainstays of the Surfer run for a few years, including Captain Reptile and Clumsy Foul Up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm wondering if we're gonna see any of these people in Guardians Three. Yeah, maybe. Uh, who knows? <laughs> or if we ever get a Surfer movie. I mean, but if we anyway. ever get a Surfer movie, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice, but that's probably a couple years out anyway. Yeah. They'll probably do Fantastic Four first. Yeah, that's probably like the standard they're going with. Yeah. But anyway, hold on. Let me drop in a synopsis for these four issues, and we will be right back. Silver Surfer, issues 11 to 14. Writer, Steve Englehart. Pencils, Joe Staten and Marshall Rogers. Inkers, Joe Rubenstein, Dave Cockrum, and Jose Marzan Jr. Colors, Marshall Rogers and Tom Vincent. Letters, Ken Brusniak. Cover art, Marshall Rogers, Rich Buckler, Mike Magnolia, and Joe Rubenstein. Editor, Michael Higgins with Mike Rockowitz, and Craig Anderson with A.A. A. Perry. Cover dated May to August 1988. On sale date, early January to April 1988. Cover price, $1 each. You can find these issues reprinted, either in full or partially, in Nova number 130 to 133, a 1988 French reprint, Silver Surfer number 11, a 1990 Italian reprint, Essential Silver Surfer volume 2, a 2007 reprint, Silver Surfer Epic Collection Volume 3 from 2015, and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited and other digital comic sites. Issue 11, Nova. Based on a tip from the Nora, the Silver Surfer and Nova head to the Colsack Nebula to find a Contemplator. They battle some space pirates before following them back to their hideout. Once there, they find disguises and attend the boss pirate's party. At the party, they get into another fight with pirates before they are captured by the boss, Captain Reptile. Meanwhile, another Silver Surfer attacks and destroys a Kree outpost. Issue 12. Sick. The Silver Surfer and Nova have been captured by Captain Reptile and attached to his ship's power sources. The two are slowly and painfully being drained of their powers. The Kotai are notified of this and use clumsy follow-up to free Nova. Once released, Nova attacks the pirate spaceship, until Reptile releases the Silver Surfer. With Nova distracted, they escape back into the Colsack. 
Angered by these turn of events, Reptile attacks and kills the Contemplator. Issue 13, Masks. Ronan the Accuser stops a plot to assassinate Supreme Leader Nenora. She sends him to find and accuse the Silver Surfer for his perceived attacks on the Kree Empire. Meanwhile, she sends the Skrull Emperor Kylor's fleet into a death trap in order to keep her secret, that she is really a Skrull, safe. Ronan tracks down the Surfer and Nova, but is quickly defeated. The Surfer and Nova leave to find out who's been impersonating him. Nenora's trap works and Emperor Kylor is destroyed. Empress Sybil is pleased to hear that a rival for the Skrull Empire has departed, and she sends an agent to Earth for a secret mission. Issue 14, Silver Mirrors. The two Silver Surfers fight each other, while Nova helplessly watches on the side. One Surfer prevails and the other is left unconscious. Nova leaves with the victorious Surfer, but is quickly captured by him. He reveals to her that he's actually a scroll in disguise. Ronan the Accuser then appears and finishes the battle by vaporizing the fake Silver Surfer. Nova rushes back to find the real Surfer, and they embrace. In all his decades of publishing history, one event has affected Superman more than any other. Worlds lived, worlds died, and that was only the beginning. Superman was never the same. Presenting Superman in Crisis. Available weekly from January 3rd, 2022 at johnreadscomics.com. Okay, Silver Surfer 11. And we got a Marshall Rogers, Joe Rubenstein cover of Nova and the Surfer fighting a bunch of space pirates while wearing costume pirate costumes themselves. Yeah, Nova's uh, costume is uh, burning, like the, the clothes are burning off. So yeah, it, it's just weird to see them wearing clothes because I mean, I mean they're covered, but they're technically naked, and now they're like wearing clothing on them. It just looks so weird. It is, yeah. Especially like the surfer, his, his clothes look kind of big. Like the, especially the coat looks very big. Like the yeah, it's kind of bulky. Are, yeah, it's like he's wearing the thing's coat. Yeah, exactly. He left the Fantastic Four's house. He picked up the wrong jacket. He's like, "Ah, oh, crap! It's Ben's." Yeah. <laughs> Fit four of my arms in one of these sleeves. But anyway, so past the cover. We got the no. We got Surfer and the Nova attacked by space being attacked by space pirates because they're on the trail of the Contemplator. Because in case you forgot from anyone forgot from last time, Galactus asked them to go find the Contemplator since he was the last uh, Elder unaccounted for. Interestingly, we have a new artist, uh, Joe Stanton. Yep. Yeah, I'm wondering if Rogers got busy or whatever. I don't know. There's always reasons why. Sorry, it's interesting. Like his his style is a lot more. Uh, it's a lot more like uh, uh, John Buscema than uh, Rogers did, like the way, especially the way he draws the surfer. Which is interesting, and I'm wondering how much of that is him, or how much is the inker? Because I know Staten or Staten or Staten. I'm never sure how to pronounce it. I always pronounce it Staten, so that's how I'll do it. But I have no idea which one of us is right. <laughs> um. His, he generally has a pretty uh, uh, signature style. 
Like, I remember reading some issues of his of Green Lantern Corps when he was doing that. And then when he was doing issues of Green Lantern back in the 90s, he did the guy, you know, Guy Gardner stuff. And he did the early issues of the Guy Gardner ongoing series. And you could definitely see a style. And it definitely did not look like this fully. Oh, did he do that with Engelhard as well? Uh, Green Lantern Corps? Yeah. Okay, I've, I've read those, I think I've read those issues, too. That's when uh, Rocket Red debuted. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry. For a okay, second, yeah, I, I, read I went to the wrong rock. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it does look very different in this. Yeah, he like a very dis- he's a very distinct style. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And so this is like, looks a little different. So like I said, I'm not sure how much is him changing his style maybe for this type of story or how much is the anchor could be the anchor because yeah the line like it, the lines are a lot more um present and i'm guessing like he especially on like the bodies like the spaceship so maybe that's yeah. it that's quite possibly yeah they're fighting all the all the pirates while arguing with each other which is amusing <laughs> It's kind of like a romantic comedy movie. You know, they're doing that, I don't like you bickering. Yeah, when they're, like, casually arguing while they're fighting. It always, always kind of like that trope. It's like, it's, it's like best of both worlds. You have, like, talking and, like, character development, but you also have, like, a little bit of action. Yeah, and also, it, it also helps when they're doing up against things where they're, for the most part, overpowering. So it's not like... They have to pen, pay, pen, yeah, pay all their attention. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like if Superman was fighting, you know, Superman and Batman are fighting Kite Man. Yeah, it's like yeah, we could we could talk about stuff. You're not Luther. You're not the. You're not Doomsday. We don't have to pay all of our attention to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the same. It'd be the same as if we were working out in the gym, basically. Oh yeah, absolutely. But they escape into the Colsack Nebula. Before that, though, we we flash back to uh, Kreelar. Uh, before we get to that, though, I wanted to bring up like they bring up Europe, and at one point in the conversation, when I was seventeen, I went to Europe. Remember Europe? And the surfer goes, "Yes." And I thought, like, I, I, when I read that, I'm like, "Oh yeah, you were you were in Europe. The Doctor Doom stole your board." Yeah. You're in Europe. And I mean, let's face it, the surfer probably didn't stay in what New York City the whole time. Yeah. He like he like traveled around the world for a while. I remember that. Yeah, he had I mean, for someone like him who likes the, who travels as much as he does through space, if you're stuck in one world, you know, you're gonna explore as much of it as you can. Cause you're like, well, I, I if I gotta be in one place, at least I'm just not staying in the same spot. I haven't read the like solo sur- silver surfer, but I imagine he does that a lot in that. I kind of remember that happening. He did. I mean, I read some of the issues. I haven't read the whole thing yet. But yeah, he traveled around. It's like here. He doesn't have a base. He just flies around. Yeah. But yeah, I like that. Yeah, Frankie is talking about her, you know, I guess you could say philosophy of dealing with being out there. Yeah. She's just enjoying the fact that everything is different. She's like, not just the, you know. What'd she say? Uh, it was all interesting. I don't mean just the cathedrals and monuments. I mean the telephone booths and brands of toothpaste and the waves of wearing jeans, everything. To the people who lived there, it was just everyday reality. But to me, it was all exotic and new. 
That's pretty interesting. No, it's kind of like why she went. Because remember, I mean, I don't know if you read the issue or not where she became Nova. Galactus wasn't threatening Earth. Galactus was just there. And she's like, hey, you had a Herald before, right? Want a new one? And I know, like, you haven't seen much of the Silver Surfer animated show, but on that, uh, she kind of just takes over after the Surfer, after Galactus releases uh, the Surfer. Okay, so she is in there. Oh, because, um, okay, so she was, like, rollerblading near the where Galactus was about to consume the Earth. There's no, like, Fantastic Four on the show, but, like, and then... Uh, she and then Galactus kind of picks her up and then turn makes her into a new and into his new herald. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. The fact they actually included her. Yeah, she she's like appears in a couple episodes too. They had head to Krelar to speak to Nenora, the scroll who is secretly the leader of the Kree Empire. <laughs> yeah, they... I I like how she's a lot being being a lot more pragmatic as a leader. It's like. I don't want to get involved. She's like, all right, cool. Don't get a, don't fight us. And I want to fight Earth. He's like, cool with me. I don't need to deal with anything extra. I have a war. <laughs> We're leaving both those plants alone. Happy? Yeah. So she she just, yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it goes smoothly. Like, there's no big uh, battle. I mean, I don't think it matters whether or not she was a scroll, really, or not. You know, she's being smart. She's like, yeah, I saw what you did to that guy who's way more powerful than me. I am not screwing with you. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of cool. It's like, you just want to stay out of this crap? Fine. You don't attack us. We don't bother you. And then when they actually ask for extra help, she's like, I'll help. But I'd like a favor. It's like a mafia thing. Yeah, yeah. On a day, a day that may never come. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's how they know to look for the, in the Colsack Nebula. Which, where do they say? I think they say in the beginning they say where it is. I wanted to ask yeah. you if you knew. Yeah, they say it's uh, a constellation they, they of the Southern cross. cross, which is a but like a constellation only seen in the Southern Hemisphere. And as far as you know, okay, so that's what they say here. So that that, that tracks. Now, as far as you know, is there like a Colsack Nebula or anything like, or whatever it's called? Uh, I think they say Nebula. But I'm not sure. Probably a nebula. They say it's a cloud, so it's probably a nebula. So, but I mean, as far as you know, is that a real? Is that a real thing, or is that a made up? Yeah, it is. It, I, I forget the Mesner number. It's Messier M- Messier number, but I do remember hearing about the Colsack. Okay, so cool. I mean, Colsack. I don't know if it's a galaxy or a nebula, but I'll, I'll check one. Hey, the fact that they actually got real stuff. Yeah, especially. They actually, I'm, I'm kind of impressed. With the, like a lot of this because it is very uh, well researched. I guess you know they had really good libraries there. Yeah, I mean because it's not like he could have just went on his phone and went, "Okay, let's see." You know, Actually, so. I, I, I have a phone, so I might as well just quickly look okay. it up. <laughs> okay, Colsack. I forgot to do that. I figured, well, I have you on. I'll bother. You. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a nebula, and yeah, it is in the constellation the Southern Cross. Cool. Yeah, there's this even like this cool. Oh, it's a dark nebula, so. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so it absorbs light, so that kind of fits with how it was in the first issue. Yeah, so they kind of go with that reality here, play with it a bit, obviously, but taking the basis of it. Nice. I like that. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm sure it does not look if you actually were if we were actually able to get there, I'm pretty sure it would probably not look like what they show, which looks like a physical thing. Yeah, they mentioned like it was full of or primitive organic life. So I guess what they mean is like the tar. So probably like some kind of like a kind of like a sub semi liquid, like that kind of ooze stuff, I think is what they're showing here. Yeah. I mean, it kind of looks like a, almost like a physical thing, like a tar or like, but maybe it would be like that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, the or mm. the Black Galaxy from Thor, but also yep. a little bit of um, there's this a uh, science fiction novel I really like called uh, The Black Cloud. It was written by this um, astrophysicist named Fred Hoyle, and that had like this big um, cloud that was sentient and like. You know, it had it, it, it like it kind of was like a it was a sentient like it was a living cloud and it just approached Earth. And like the story was just like it's slowly enveloping the Earth and like scientists trying to deal with that. Oh. OK, you know, that makes me wonder two things now real quick. I wonder if Jim Shooter and or Stan Lee read that or Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby. Uh, Maybe Jack Kirby, he he was into science fiction and, you know, he, he read a lot of like National Geographic and all that. So maybe because I'm thinking of Galactus, but I'm also thinking of Jim Shooter of the Sun Eater from Legion of Superheroes. Probably, which is I, a giant cloud that basically ate, you know, the energy from stars and killed them. That, that does sound a lot like the Black Cloud. I, I if I recall correctly, Shooter was like into science fiction, so maybe he was he was aware of this story. Yeah, I, I mean, it's too, it's possible. I mean, it came out of several, you know, fifty-seven. He would have been like seven or eight, probably. But I mean, doesn't mean you couldn't read it a few years later. And within yeah. several years, he was writing the doing the Legion, and you know that story is in that run. So I mean, it's very. I would not be surprised. I forgot. Yeah, he he was like. He, I forgot, like, yeah, he, he started the Legion when he was, like, 16, something like that. Yeah, he was a teenager. 15, maybe? I'm not sure. He was very young. Yeah. Still a minor. And, yeah, he did a lot of the classic Legion stories from Adventure Comics. And, but, like I said, that's one of the things he created was the Sun Eater. And it just looking real quick, based on what you said and what I just see really quick on the basis of the story, it sounds very much like the Sun Eater. Huh. I have to look that up now. Yeah. They find the pirates' hidden base in this nebula, and they you know, find they want to find the contemplator. So they uh, decide they disguise themselves, <laughs> wearing pirate clothes. Yeah, this is my favorite part. Like, I like how Nova's disguise is like. Uh, it it kind of looks like she has like a towel on her head, like that kind of like a turban. Yeah, well, you gotta hide that big flame head, flame hair somehow. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised it doesn't just burn off, though. But maybe she has control enough to keep it from being hot. And the surfer goes with his, uh... What he was used to wearing on Earth. A trench coat and a fedora. Because as we all know, if you wear a trench coat and fedora, and especially sunglasses, you're completely hidden. No one will notice that your skin is actually, you know, rock, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like in comic books, glasses like change your complete appearance so you don't look like people don't recognize you. 
Worked for Starfire, the Titans in the 80s. Puts on a pair of sunglasses. Oh, hey, you're just a normal Earth girl, aren't you? Yes, I am. <laughs> there was this online skit. I don't know if it was Funny or Die or College Humor, one of those things. I wish I could find it, but it was a joke about somebody wearing, uh, putting on glasses and, like, how well a disguise it works. So, like, whenever the guy just took his glasses off for a second, the person he's talking to started looking around going, like, who are you? Where my friend go? <laughs> And he puts it back on. It's like, dude, where did you go? There's some other random guy just popped in, just showed up right here all of a sudden, started talking to me. <laughs> I, have to, I have to check that out. That's not, that's I not wish I could find it. I've looked for it for a long time. I saw it a couple years ago, and I can never find it somewhere. <laughs> but I'm digressing. Anyway, so yeah, there. And so Nova meets. What looks like just to be a random guy, but actually is somebody that's going to pop up back and forth a lot in this Oversurfer series for the next year or two at least. Clumsy Foulup. Who, <laughs> yeah, his name's very accurate. And he's an idiot. And yeah. a coward. And a braggart. Yeah. I like his design, though, like the cheeks and everything. Yeah, definitely looks very alien. Yeah. But yeah, he tries hitting on Nova. But does let her know there's a party that everyone's going to be at. And I like how they do this part. Because this is we just see Nova looking around. And then she's got to catch up with the surfer in a little bit. But we don't see what the surfer's doing on this planet. And so we switch to a Kree ship where the surfer shows up by himself. Yeah. And decides to kill everybody. Yeah. Out of the good sound effects here. Like boom, boom. Plum, Brack. Yeah, Sham, when he first kills the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could tell he's killing the guy because the blast, you can see like everything is like his, the back of his clothes are ruined. Yep. The blast went through. Now, of course, anyone who already is listening now knows what happened because we went over the synopsis. So, you know, I did, I did a synopsis for the for all four issues. So we know it's not the surfer, but this was nicely done here in a bit in a way because. When we pop back, you know, he leaves after blowing up the, sh- you know, destroying the Kree outpost. And then we pop back and we see Nova waiting for the surfer and finding him. And he's changed his clothes. He's now found a different pirate, you know, more piratey outfit. So yeah. they do it in a way where it could be that's the truth or he left and came back. Yeah, I like the subtlety of that. Like he. Just to play with the reader's minds. Yeah. That was good. But. They head to the big old party and they dance and they're listening and they're enjoying each other's company until Clumsy tries to cut in on the dancing. His speech is very weird. His speech gets, from what I remember, his speech gets more normal throughout the issue as he goes on. But like in this issue, it's a lot of weird, you know, alien slang. They always do that in like, you know, like in stories like they have the characters talking like this uh slang yeah like i mean i'm going back to when he first sees dova he says hi to you hun hun got a fellow for a party hardy tonight boss's birthday hun hun everybody's supposed to be z bc what a nana you <laughs> you know it's like huh you know and then later on in several issues within like a year he's gonna be just talking like everyone else. Maybe they just got complaints. People are like, what the hell is he saying? Yeah. 
But anyway, he basically decides that when the surfer tells him no, you know, you know, they tell him no, you're not cutting in. He starts to he starts a fight. Yeah. And of course, it's a bunch of drunk pirates, so everyone's going to get involved. And it's all fun and games until something is dropped over Nova and the surfer that basically knocks them out. And we see it is Captain Reptile. Yep. The non-humanoid. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I like that title. It, it's very accurate. I like his design, too. It's like kind of thin and scraggly, but it also... I don't know. I do like these, like the... Uh, let's, uh, like, um, the old, like, uh, Star Treks, but the Gorn, like, the, the, the aliens in that. Oh, yeah, the Gorn, yeah. Yeah, he looks, yeah. They definitely make them look very lizard. More, more, they're humanoid shaped. I mean, they, you know, they're bipedal. They have, like, you know, similar amounts of fingers. But, yeah, they're much, you could definitely tell they're much more lizard-like, lizard-like than alien people. You know, a lot. They're a lot less going with the old Star Trek. You know, people wearing weird things on their heads. Yeah. Like, okay, you're a Vulcan. We're gonna give you ears. <laughs> mm. Oh, and the contemplator's there in the background. Uh, <laughs> Being a little jerk, as Captain Reptile yeah. says, "Welcome, Silver Surfer. We were expecting you." And the contemplator's in the back, expecting you to die. <laughs> All right, on the twelve. And I believe, yeah, this one is, yeah, this is Marshall Rogers back for one, for an issue. Yeah, for the interiors. Is this uh, is the cover of Marshall Rogers, though? You know, I forgot to bring that up. Let's see real quick. Because I don't see a signature on this one, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't either. Silver Surfer. Here we go, 87. And this is 12. Yep, Marshall Rogers and Joe Rubenstein. Okay, so, so they okay, so they just did the cover as well. Yep. Which is Nova flying through the flying through space, blasting, being shot up by ships. While we got a little insert of the surfer hanging. Yeah, looks like he's chained up by his arms. And the surfer is <laughs> apparently Captain Reptile for being a pirate has a lot of random stuff he's stolen, including stuff that he can use to capture the surfer and Nova. And right now he's using them to power two of his ships. And he is Reptile, the non-humanoid, because he hates humans. And he really, I mean, he really hates humans. Like, that's his identity. <laughs> this is a backstory. Reminds me a lot of it, like another science fiction novel, uh, Farseer. By, by uh, Robert Sawyer. It's basically about aliens abduct uh, the dinosaurs right before the mass extinction, and they take them to this moon of a gas giant in a distant solar system. And then the dinosaurs, and well, the T Rexes become like humans, like they become like a humanoid species, kind of. Okay, cool. That's That's interesting. Yeah, so his backstory, you know, like or like the backstory of species, and you know, he was descended from like the same as the dinosaurs, and then you know, celestials took him and then modified him. That that reminded me a lot of that novel. Hmm, that's different. Yeah, yeah it also sounds like there was a uh, a comic company in the '90s, Techno Comics, 
and they had a company that a series called Primortals, which are like, I don't, I have no idea what it's about because I never read it. But on the covers, you would see like dinosaurs, but in spaceships, like, and wearing arm, you know, wearing spacesuits and stuff, and like being on Earth. Oh, uh, that that sounds kind of interesting. I'll have to go back and read that at some point. Maybe, yeah. But yeah, Captain Reptile's going on his uh, ranting on. It sounds like, from based on the context of what we get here, it sounds like it's uh, the captain of a ship that they raided. Yeah. But yeah, he's he hates all humans. He's like, I like the other guys. Like, I wouldn't call the surfer human exactly. He's like, I would. I call all of you with your flat faces and toothpickless le- toothpick legs. <laughs> it's like you're all the same to me. <laughs> and he doesn't care that he's piss- he might piss off Galactus. He's like, he can't get us in here. I don't care. <laughs> I like that. I like that whole argument, the, the, the debate. He's like, let Galactus attempt. He's not going to fare any better. He's like, but you have to come out of here eventually. You know, you attack Caravan's like ours. Like, I didn't invite him here for a dialogue. Get this jerk out. <laughs> <laughs> Jabbering, jumped up monkey. <laughs> the only human human that he sort of even likes, although that doesn't go very far as we'll see soon, <laughs> is the Contemplator, apparently. Because oh. apparently he's from the Colsack Nebula, like he is, but his race, you know, his race has died out years ago. But since you left his, you know, apparently, I don't know whether, what, yeah, I, I don't know whether other races bothered his race. Because he seems like the fact that the Contemplator's race left his alone. Now, I'm not sure if that it has something to do, you know, like, I don't know enough about his history to know whether. His race was her, you know, were bothered by other races early on, and that's why. Or if he just sees like the the scrolls fighting the Kree, he's like, at least we didn't have to deal with that crap. But there's a little bit of this actually going on through these issues of like debate, talking about like how evolution works in space and stuff. Oh yeah, like th- there's one between the Surfer and Neb- and Nova later on, but there's also this one with the Contemplator and Captain Reptile where. Reptile's talking about how, for the most part, other parts of the cosmos, evolution cares, you know, goes towards, the, you know, mammalians, you know, evolution, possibly due to the, me- the meddling of the celestials. Yeah, that, I, I guess they're trying to explain why there's so many, like, human-like species in, in the Marvel Universe when, you know, if, if you know, scientifically they wouldn't look anything like humans. Exactly. So they're trying to, yeah, they explain why that happened. They even, they although the contemplators mentioned there are other reptilian races. There is even one called, he says, a Saurian race on Earth, which was killed out by the, uh, mostly killed out by the, uh, the same yeah, asteroid killed the dinosaurs. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That's that's what the part that reminded me of that uh, Farseer. Yeah, he says, on the planet Earth, the dinosaurs produce a spiries. So, uh, sort of, I don't pronounce that, <laughs> which resembled your ancestors. Uh, and there is a race uh, mentioned. Sor- uh, let me see if I can do it. Soronithoids. Sinervonithoids. Yeah, which might be. So I'm seeing, looking on the Marvel Wiki, I'm seeing there's a race mentioned called Saurians, and they did appear in Miss Marvel number 20. Okay, so like that was like in the seven. Okay. Oh wait, well, yeah. 
Although they eventually moved to the Savage Land, so I'm sure they all died, probably. Oh, okay. When the Savage Land was destroyed by the by uh, in the 80s. But anyway, while they're there, Captain Reptile apparently has a plant in his in his quarters, and the plant, because we're not on the plant plant things yet, sends his information to the Kotai race. Yeah, from and it, it says here to look at Avengers one thirty three to one thirty five, a giant size Avengers number four. Yep, the Celestial Madonna story. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's where that's the whole thing that Mantis talked about in her history, where she married one of the Kotai, and there, supposedly that was supposed to be like some kind of messiah type child that was like half plant, half human. Yeah, that makes sense. I believe that's where Mortis first pops back up. Because Immortus at first appeared like Avengers like nine and then doesn't show up again until like this story arc. That story arc. The Celestial Madonna. Oh. Yeah, he doesn't appear for like a, almost like over a hundred issues. He like just vanishes forever. Is that the one where it's revealed he was like a different version of Kang? I don't know. I have not really read all of that story, so I cannot say. But they decide that since he was important to her and potentially could be a person to help out the child, their child, that child, they should help the surfer. So, <laughs> while Clumsy's in the bar and somebody gives him uh, something to eat, and based on their doing, I don't know if that's just something to eat or that's supposed to be some kind of drug, but apparently it works differently than they expect because once he's eaten the plant, the Kotai are able to be in his head <laughs> and convince <laughs> him that he needs to rescue Nova. <laughs> yeah, he like it's this real trippy kind of scene where he's just his face is like distorted, looks kind of like a Picasso, like yeah, really cool. So he goes to help, but the contemplator picks up on this and sends his astral form out to stop him. He goes to tell Reptile, but he can't because uh, there's apparently a, a shield around. I'm not sure if the shield... Now, they don't explain if the shield is caused by the Kotai or something Reptile has himself. But either way, there's a shield that prevents his astral form from getting directly to Reptile, so he has to talk to the guard. And he said, "This I love this little conversation with the guard. <laughs> <laughs> How come I can see through you? That isn't important. What is important is we're under attack. There's been no alarm. It's a mental attack. Yeah, I can believe that. I got to, <laughs> I got to get past this man, and he's an idiot. Because <laughs> he's like, look, the captain said don't wake him up. I don't wake him up. Now, here's a weird thing. So while Nova's prisoner, it looks like she's getting flashes of what's actually will hap- actually happening. Yeah. Somehow. Just before we get into that, though, I don't know if I'm just slang. Like, I think I'm going to toss my cookies. Yep. Like, can't behind fever. How can I have fever when I'm already on? That's a hot one. That's a tight slapper. That's a wrap. It's like, like they're trying to figure out how the, the how young people talk, but they don't. Yeah. Yeah. So. That was amusing. But then, yeah, like I said, she's getting like these images like of a surfer attacking the Kree and the Kree deciding they're going to go back at him. And she's seeing the Nora as a scroll. Yeah. So I don't remember where this is. Where 
maybe they'll pop up in the next few issues, but I'm not sure where that's coming from. You know, unless it's the Kotai getting to her mind, but then how did they? Um, it could have been that plant that's in like that that was shown that sent the signal in the first place. Yeah, but I thought I thought Clumsy had to eat it. So, oh, you know, right, right, right. For, for yeah. something to get into his head, it's one thing for the plant to hear things and send it, it out, you know, send it to them. But how did it get to her head? That's what I'm wondering. Could just be like the power cosmic. I don't, I don't know. That's possible. But for the most part, they've been Englehart's been pretty good about whatever he puts in, explaining it. So hopefully, though, I'm assuming there will be an explanation at some point of how she knows these things. You know, like the whole thing with Mantis, you know, all the little mysteries in the first few issues it just does get explained. So hopefully this will, too. But anyway, Clumsy rescues her and then passes out. And too late, they wait, you know, they, but meanwhile, the contemplator and the guard wake up the captain too late. As the alarm goes off, Jesse's about to tell him what happened. <laughs> And we can see Nova fighting, you know, like on the cover, she's fighting the ships in space. Yep. And she's causing enough problems that the cat reptile's like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just jettison the surfer's body out, and then we can get away while she's dealing with him. Although I do like the whole thing of her realizing some of her power. I mean, she's fighting them like the human torch would at first. Yeah. No, it is a little bit different, and because, like, her trail doesn't, like, dissipate after, like, you know, Johnny's, you know, it's just like a couple feet and then it just kind of becomes smoke. But like here, it just like it forms like a little like. Uh, yeah, like a, almost like a rope behind her or something. Like a tail. Yeah. But then she realized instead she's because she's fighting like one ship at a time. She's black you know, or two at a time with her two hands blasting them. And then she realizes that like I can control every photon of my flame and like all of the flame that trail she left. All of a sudden she has like full control over she realizes because she realizes how, you know, she hasn't yet realized how powerful she is. And that's when they realize, okay, Captain's like, we got to get out of here. Yeah, and so they the, do. I, I like uh, this panel here where, you know, the surfer is just, it, it looks kind of like a cloud. Like, it doesn't look like a capsule. Like, the surfer is just inside of it. And then they just poof, shoot him out. You see all that energy that he was, you know, giving out. Uh, there's an ad here for the Avengers issue number 291. It says the end begins. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, this is this yeah. is where like they disband for a bit. Yeah, I yeah, remember reading team, about this. Yeah, the team basically disbands. Um, because when you get to the because when their Evolutionary War annual comes out. Were their annual that year? Because it's part of the Evolutionary War. Uh, there is no team to answer the alarm. It's basically just a bunch of reservists. Oh, okay. So the team that issue is Cap. Well, the the captain. It was when you know Captain America was wearing the black costume. Oh yeah, so, the captain. So he's the captain, the Beast, Hercules, Gray Hulk, Falcon, Jacosta, the the you know, the the ro- other robot created by Ultron. Besides the vision, and the 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 second yellow jacket. Oh, it's the, oh, like okay. the first step of her actually sort of becoming less of a villain character. Basically, the alarm set went off in the uh, in the helmet because you know they stole she stole it from Henry Pym. 
So the oh, Avenger okay. alarm went off and she it was driving her nuts. But she ended up helping. It's like, that's the team. And that actually leads into the issues of Avengers that are part of the Inferno crossover, 299 to 300, where a new team forms, which will be an Avengers team for many, many years. Captain America, Thor, Gilgamesh, Mr. Fantastic, and the Invisible Woman. <laughs> they will be Avengers for a long, long time, or until about like issue 303, 304, something like that. Uh, okay. <laughs> it doesn't last very long. Oh, it's okay. too weird a team. Yeah, I, I could see that. But, <laughs> and we get to the end of this issue, which I love. So the pirates are getting away. And the contemplator is like, good job, Reptile. We're going to be quite safe now. <laughs> and the Reptile just lunges and just bites the contemplator's head off almost. Yeah, it's like it's it's graphic, too. Like there's all this flesh that's coming out. And you, I mean, he's eating him. He just is biting him the one time to kill him. Yeah. He just starts ripping at the body. Eating it. Yeah. And you can see one of the guards in the back. One of the guys in the back looks like he's about to, to throw up. Yeah, and then the other one's like, now that's sick. Yeah. Like I said before, he sort of likes him, but that he kind of likes the contemplator, but that only goes so far with Reptile. The contemplator is, like, immortal, so I, is he, like, dead now, or? Mm, I don't remember. I don't think so. I mean, they have that whole thing about how the others can't die, but we're going to see in next issue, he he's just ahead. Oh, we're all right. So I, I don't know what what his status is. They're, they're really screwing with this whole elders not being able to die thing in this story. Yeah. I mean, in these issues, in this, in this series, I mean. Uh, another, I mean, just before we go on, another notable ad, uh, Alf. The comic yeah, series? Yep, the Marvel series. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier, Alf, like the Evolutionary War parody. Yep, I didn't. I never had a chance to read that one, but I did have one or two Alf issues with par- that had X Men parodies. I guess they they just did that. They just did parodies in that book. Well, I think they did more. From what I remember seeing the covers, they did more than that. But they did a lot of Marvel parodies because they could. You know, it was a Marvel comic, and it's a lot easier to do that in you know eighty seven in a comic than it would have been on TV. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, basically, on the show Alf, if you ever watched it, all you saw really was Alf for the most part because he was a puppet. <laughs> Not like he uh, saw spaceships and stuff. That, that's what I've heard. Like, I, I've i never seen Alf, so that, that was way, way before my time. So, Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I was in, like, at this point, I would be, what, seventh grade? So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. I heard it. It was, like, kind of a, like a weird show. Well, it's about an alien living with people. So, yeah, it was a little weird, but it's not like it's new. I mean, that was the whole premise of Mork and Mindy. And that was from oh, the 70s. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. You know, they've done that. They do that period. They've done those shows periodically. Some do better than others. You know, My Favorite Martian, uh, Mork and Mindy, you know, even things like Bewitched or I Dream a Genie. Yeah, yeah. And then there's like, you know, Third Rock from the Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently Resident Alien. Oh, I didn't know that's that's what that show's about. Yeah, he's an alien stuck on Earth 
pretending to be. I think he's pretending. I have to watch it because I do like Alan Tudyk pretending to be a doctor oh. or something. But yeah, Alf actually will come up more often again on the show at some point because when Drax comes back to life, because, you know, shocker, Drax is not. <laughs> I know Drax already died on the show, people. But in case you've seen anything, you know, in case you've been living under a rock, everyone knows Drax is alive now. Drax is going to come back with, and he's one of the things he's going to be obsessed with is the show Alf. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. In fact, I think it's like Warlock in the Infinity Watch 2 or 3. He's captured because they, the aliens on the ship are ready to capture him. They get him in without a fight because they tell him they have a whole run of the Alf movie, of the Alf TV show. <laughs> uh, that, that's funny. So, yes, Al, this conversation with Alf, while a bit of a digression, is germane to the podcast. <laughs> it matters. Suck it, Superman podcast. You can't say, you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, I mean, they can't say it. I'm, you know, they can't pull Alf in, but, you know. Hi, John. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Hi, Grant. Anyway. Issue 13. We have um, Rich Buckler, the, 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 the great uh, Rich Buckler. Yep. At least he did. Yeah, at least, we got another signed cover, thankfully. So at least we know who did this one. Yeah. It, you know, it looks, it, you know, his kind of thing. You know, it's like the kind of dramatic Kirby type poses and like the more kind of kind of like realistic, you know, proportions. Yeah, it, I mean, he was drawing Fantastic Four and stuff like that, I believe, in the 70s. So, yeah, it makes sense. This, this cover looks more a bit more like a throwback to that time. Yeah, especially, especially like the like the poses, like the framing and the poses. Oh, and I almost forgot. So, and looking up some information on, the sh- on these issues, just so you know, as, for issue 11, as reported by Marvel, this issue was the sixth best-selling direct sales title for Marvel during the month it was released. Oh. And issue 12, same thing. And issue 13, it was number seven for Mar- as far as Marvel direct sales issues. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. And about the issue 14? Uh, 14, I don't think they mentioned it on 14. Let me go back and double check. I don't see anything mentioned about that. Yeah, it's a shame. But still, so obviously the series was doing decently well. Yeah. But yeah, the cover has the Nova and the Surfer under attack by Ronan the Accuser. It's it's a really good cover too, like all the Kirby crackle, you know, like uh, you know Ronan like like doing the evil pose. Yeah, no, it, it this is very dynamic. This is a cool looking cover. I definitely dig this one. And we got Joe Staten back on the pencils inside with yeah, Joe Staten and Dave Cockrum is doing the inks. I know, like that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and yeah, we got a couple Cree trying to assassinate Nanora, but Ronan stops them and well, kills them all nastily. It looks a little bit more like uh, those Silver Surfer issues. That's not those uh, Green Lantern issues you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, like you could, yeah, like the, so maybe it was the inker, because. Yeah, it probably was, like, especially, like, if I remember correctly from that book, uh, he 
he tended not to have like such heavy line or heavy shadows. So, so maybe it's look- the way Cockerminks. Yeah. But I do like here how Nanora almost gives herself away a little bit. When she's talking yeah, to Ronan. When she's like, you should have kept one alive. Like, there might be more, you know, more of them. He's like, we know who they are. That's why I was ready for them. It's like, but there might be ones we don't know about. It's like, that's like a scroll thing to be like that devious and sneaky. It's like, oh, yeah, yes, you're right. Of course. And then Ronan gets creepy. But Bro, perhaps yeah, you need a man I, to stay with you until the dawn. <laughs> I I didn't know he was like that. He was, I don't know. He he never acted that way. As as he acted that way before, I I can't say I remember it. But to be fair, I mean, most of the Cree are kind of well. Yeah. I I mean, does race is race is kind of the right word if you're talking about other species. I mean, he's race. Yeah, he's they're, they're racist. Yeah, speciest? like speciesist. Yeah, probably but, a better so, term. I haven't really seen him, as far as I know, with many Cree women. Yeah, which I'm assuming that's what he's into, since he seems to be. But also, how many besides the supreme intelligence have been in charge of the empire? Yeah, that's true. I mean, how how much of this is him liking her, and how much is this hoping hoping this could you know benefit him? Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe he did work on the Supreme Intelligence. That's what he's trying. I have no idea. Maybe, yeah. I mean, the Supreme Intelligence is full of tentacles. That's a that's a yeah. It's an interesting theory. I didn't consider that. <laughs> uh, there's an ad here for the Evolutionary War. So we were talking about that earlier. Oh, yeah, because that was going on for a couple months. Believe well, like the high evolutionary there. Oh, that jerk. Oh, Kettlehead. <laughs> Kettlehead. <laughs> he looks like, look at the thing on his head. It's a handle. You know, pop his head off, use him to make tea. Yeah. They don't show much in the trailer for the movie. Maybe that, but I think like he has a mohawk that kind of looks like that. Uh, the actor, and I don't, I don't remember his name. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that, but yeah, I think I saw it. I think I remember seeing that. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. They might do something like they did with Kang and Ant Man: The Wasp: Quantumania, where you know he had that little shield that came out over his face, so it was kind of a blue tinge, so it kind of looked like the way Kang usually looks. Yeah, maybe. I always thought like that was a like the high evolutionary face. I always thought that was like a helmet, so maybe like they're kind of wearing that. Oh yeah, no, that is a helmet. That's all armor he's wearing. But, you know, maybe they don't want to put the helmet on him, so maybe that's why they do, like, that hair, so it looks like that. Yeah. I mean, well, well, considering when this episode's coming out, we might have already seen. I forget when. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Probably from, like, a post, like, uh, like a editor's, maybe you could put, like, an editor's note there just saying, like, whether or not we were right or not. I just might do that if I remember. And depending on when I edit this. And here's that editor's note. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, as you know, is out. And I just double-checked just to make sure I'm right. And we just see his face. No mohawk, no helmet. But yeah, no, so Nanora's like, you know what? Go get the Silver Surfer. He's being a jerk. He's attacking us. I made a deal with him. And then the next day, he went to attack us. So go kick his ass. I I like the melted... I I think that's like the melted... uh, Supreme Intelligence? Yeah. Of the Supreme Intelligence, yeah. 
He he is not doing well. He is completely insane still. Yeah, just like he's, he's like mush now. And she's checked in with quote unquote her emperor, the scroll that one scroll emperor she works for. Yeah, who is? It's one thing to have a spy do things for you. It's another thing to really completely trust your spy when your spy is completely taken over your emp- your enemy's empire. Yeah, it's like. Really? Really? You, you trust fully that this person's not going to betray you? Because they, they, you know, they're not just working for you. They're now in control of an empire that's at least as powerful as yours, if not more powerful. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, we, so we see the, the contemplator's head. Like, yeah, back that. in the Colsac Nebula. Yeah. They, Surfer and Nova find the contemplator's head. I like that. The head's been eaten. Surely the Herald of Galactus is not offended by the evidences of consumption, Nova. It's not that. The Galactus doesn't nest, doesn't leave leftovers. Oh, yeah. Like, could you imagine That's Galactus like, oh, let me put this continent in the fridge. I'll have it tomorrow. <laughs> I'm kind of full. I'm kind of intrigued by that because, like, when when you think of like Galactus destroying the planet, you think like there are like rocks remaining, like you know, little bits of like the planet remaining. But uh, I guess not. I guess he's thorough. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I mean, I can't remember right now off the top of my head if I ever seen things where we've seen Galactus have eaten a pl- what happened after Galactus ate a planet. Maybe maybe she considers that more like eating like spitting out the pit of a cherry or something, or the bone, or if you're eating meat like a bone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, that's not a leftover. That's just, you know, that's not what you consider leftovers. But they know, they're like, well, we at least have his head so we can bring back that back that back to Galactus. And then he has a little bit of existential, you know, upsetment over, you know, after seeing someone else dead about, you know, Mantis. Yeah, he's having oh. that standard, like, you know, Marvel, like, he's trying to contemplate it. Although he does actually come to, he does accept the fact that he was in love with her. Yeah. He got some growth going on. And he is, and like, and hey, the reason the Kotai helped him, you know, she's like, are you going to come back to Galactus? He's like, no, I have to go find Mantis's kid. I want to make sure he's okay. Oh, okay. You know, so the Kotai, hey, that was, you know, I mean, we're, I mean, not that he's doing it because they helped him. He doesn't know that, but that's why they helped him. Because they figured he would. But he's like, well, we can hang out for, you know, we can hang out for a few more minutes. We'll stop at the first planet, you know, have a drink, quote unquote. And then. And it's like, oh, hey, it is a Cree planet. Yeah, we're friends of the leader. We're fine. But nope, everyone's freaked out. And then Ronan shows up. Yeah, I'm Ronan and I accuse. Yep, Ronan's always a jerk. Yeah. And so they fight, and Ronan's actually able to match the surfer a bit. I mean, the Kree are very arrogant, but to be fair, they do have a lot of reasons to be there, you know, for their arrogance at times. I, I like the fight scene, you know, it's very elaborate. And wordless. Like, there's nothing that, you know, it's just the fight. There's no word balloons, there's no thought balloons, there's no captions. It's just them fighting each other. Yeah, just pure words. Yeah, it's just the pure action, just the fight. You know, it's like they don't need any words here. You could, everything is told in the art. 
And he almost has the surfer, and then the board, surfer's board comes and whacks him upside the head. Yeah. <laughs> but the surfer has learned that, you know, supposedly he attacked this place. So he's like, well, someone's impersonating me. So before I get ma- find Mance's child, I have to figure out what's going on with that. And since Nova's like, well, hey, I was supposed to help, you know, help you find the contemplator, but we kind of did that pretty quickly. So let me help you. I'll help you out for a little bit because she's starting to get a thing for the surfer. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it's they're, they're starting to grow close. Yeah, she's even nicknaming him Sil- you know, Silverado. <laughs> and meanwhile, we pop back to the scrolls because the the scroll emperor and his fleet, well, the one scroll emperor is free at least because there's like what five of them, I think. Yeah, yeah, the one that Nanora was a spy for. They're apparently doing it. They were apparently supposed to be doing a sneak attack on this on the Cree and the Poru. As far as they knew, the Kree had no shields. Oh. And it turns out she lied. Oh. <laughs> and they get killed. Because, well, like, you know, as she said, the only, you know, the only people who knew about her being a spy was the person who was her lover, who she poisoned. <laughs> and the, that emperor and the one guy, his one aide that worked with him. And if they're all dead, well, then no one's going to know she's a scroll. And they is dead. Obviously, she is not planning on betraying the Kree Empire to the scrolls. I think she's like, eh, I got an empire. What do I yeah. do? Oh, so here's the thing. We have another one of the other scroll emperors or empress, actually, Sybil. So you yes. see the first panel she's in? Yeah. Do you see the name of the world she's on? It's in the uh, second caption box. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. It didn't come through. Uh, Satriani. Yep. That is an homage to the musician Joe Satriani. He had the Silver Surfer on the cover of his 87 album, Surfing with the Alien. Yeah. So it was most likely an homage to him because... Well, basically that album, which I don't know if you ever heard it, but it's basically, it's just all music. There's no words. It's an all guitar, you know, and other stuff, but mostly it's guitar playing. But yeah, it's a kind of Silver Surfer influence album. I guess they decided to at least give him, give him a shout out here. Yeah, that, that was, a. I didn't, I didn't even see that. That's a, that's a really, I've seen like the album, I think John Byrne did the uh, cover for that, so. Yeah, I forget who did the cover for it. Yeah, I think I think it was John Byrne who drew the surfer. So apparently they can't, re- they couldn't reprint the, that particular cover for a while because of legal issues. Kind of makes sense. Uh, I'm looking on right now. Artwork. Oh, uh, yep. It's taken from a panel from Silver Surfer number one from 1982, drawn by Byrne. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. According to this one, I'm seeing on Wikipedia about it. Satriani was actually, so I guess it wasn't a concept album about him. It said Satriani was unfamiliar with the surfer and named the album and title without the character in mind. That's what I uh, read as well. But uh, somebody else, Jim Kwasowski, production manager for the record company, was a comic fan and even used the nickname The Silver Surfer as a radio DJ name and suggested using the character for the album. (laughs) That's kind of awesome. 
Oh, it says subsequently, subsequently, Marvel Comics has paid homage to Satriani and Silver Surfer Comics, the planet Satriani, and Satriani has <laughs> named later compositions after other elements of the Silver Surfer mythos. You know, songs called Back to Shout Out and the Power Cosmic 2000. That's awesome. Just when you thought it was safe to hear our podcast promo. JL made do 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 brave and bold do 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 comic books do 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 JL May JL May do 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 and we're covering the 2007 Brave and the Bold series that started with Mark Wade and George freaking Perez and ended with J. Michael Straczynski. Throughout the month of May, participating podcasts will release special episodes on issues in the run. It all kicks off in the Overlook Dark Knight podcast. Follow the event on social media using the hashtag JLMay2023. Coming this May. JL make do 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 brave and the bold do 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 comic books do 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 Mephisto. Hey, that it? Is that what you want? Things I do for this show. <laughs> the Surfer and Nova are looking for this imposter. The Nova trying to figure out. Well, how is somebody doing this? I mean, it's one thing that they could paint themselves silver, but I mean. If you're gonna, you know, have something like your power level, you know, at least Ronan had that giant weapon. Yeah. Looking at you, looking like you, the imposter would have no place to carry a weapon. It's like, yeah, it would have to be implanted or something. I mean, like, yeah, surfer, you know, there's no pockets. Can't carry anything. If it doesn't fit on his board, he doesn't have it. But they found the trail and find him, and he's waiting for them. Yeah. So. <laughs> We're going to find out who is the real Silver Surfer. And on to 14. Interesting enough, uh, Mike Mignola. Yeah, and it's a pretty cool Mignola Surfer versus Surfer cover. Yeah, it's a great cover. Like, you know, his kind of like his kind of mid period. I think this is Hellboy is still like a far, far ways off, but he. Yeah. I I got recently um, Triumph and Torment, or like a. Triumph and Torment, or like the Doctor Strange collection that has, you know, Triumph and Torment with Doctor Oh, the Strange. graphic novel of Doom, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that that one's a lot more, like, illustrative, like, more, you know, detailed. This is, like, more like the Hellboy, like, the kind of design that we're used to, like, the Hellboy with some, you know, the more distorted proportions, the, the, the you know, the heavy line work. I can see that. And um, yeah, Hellboy first appearance March 1993. Yeah, so that that's like a long ways off, like the six years. So yeah, Miguel would do a good Surfer series, I think. He would. He he would do a I mean, bunch of characters really well. He has so, this great you know, that, opening image of the two Surfers staring each other down. Mm-hmm. Who are you? I am the Silver Surfer. Who are you? I like how they we start the way they started off. Now we don't know which one's which. Because, you know, they're they're too close together. We can't tell which one is the real one, which one's fake. And they're both talking like the the real surfer. 
So what are they going to do? They fight. fight. Yeah, that, that's how they always do it. You got to beat each other up. Yeah, really good fight scene, though. The Joe Standen's really good at these uh, fight scenes. Yeah. And we get some cool letter uh, word balloons, too. The foomph. Yeah. Foomph. And the crump. Crump. You know, they ask Nova to stay out. Until one of them, let's see, yeah, they both even can control their boards. Until yeah. one of them knocks the other out. I, 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 I like this a little bit here, though. It's like, is it really you? It's like, uh, I see what you mean. Well, we wear no clothing, so no fibers to test. I, yeah, I suppose like he just logic. Yeah, he sort of logics himself out of having to actually test if he's the real surfer. And they show, you know, Nova checks the other body and finds out he's not dead, he's alive. And the server's like, of course not. It's like, I want to prove I'm, my, I'm me. I'm not going to be a murderer. Which is, yeah. you know, it's like, well, that's very surfer-like. It's kind of subtle, like, the way, like, he kind of talks. Like, he doesn't, he's not as, like, usually the surfer doesn't really talk like this. Like, he, he's more, uh, like, he's not as, like, cocky or he's not as wordy. Yeah, he's a little, he's just a little bit. There's just enough, but you could still wonder. You could, it's still believable enough. Yeah. And plus, Nova keeps testing him. Yeah. With things they talked about. She's like, you know, what does she say? Thomas Horton Ray didn't raise any dumb daughters. Not in Brookline. You mean Brooklyn. <laughs> he does a nice thing, though, here. Because, I mean, as we, as everyone listening to the synopsis knows, this ain't the surfer. This is the scroll imposter. But like, you know, a lot of good liars, you use a lot of the truth when you tell a lie. Lies a lot more believable when there's truth to it. His whole theory about who the fake surfer is, is basically who he is. It's a scroll. Yeah, the, the show like is a scroll here, but. Uh. You know, a scroll altered, implanted with a power receptor. Oh, right, right. The, yeah, OK, yeah. So uh, Which I was is, wondering. I was wondering briefly, like, how he got the surfers, like, the power cosmic. I guess that's how. Yeah, the same way. They, they even say, yeah, the same, very similar way to the Super Scroll. Because, I mean, I, I don't know if they, I don't know if things have changed, but I know, like, or I'm sure they have. But at least in the early issues, when the Super Scroll first appeared, he, like, it was adapt, implanted in him. But the power came from, like, the Scroll Galaxy himself. So, like, in the first issue, the first appearance of him, I believe the FF were able to defeat him. Not by beating him, but by basically blocking the energy coming to him. Oh. So he could no longer mimic their powers. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's what he's claiming that's what he's claiming to be doing now. Is to be trying to track down that where the power's coming from. Because it's like it doesn't matter, you know, if I beat you know, this I don't have to go back and beat this guy. If I can stop where the power's coming from, he's just somebody that looks like me, but he has no powers. Yeah. And Nova keeps testing him. I have to get back to Earth soon. You mean Galactus. He's like, that's fine. Keep testing me. We got to, you know, you have to trust me. But it's like, anyway, I, I see the energy. It's over there. Where? That way. Look that way. <laughs> and then he blasts her. Yeah. At least I don't know how they do it. Yeah. And then zap. And he's like, uh, uh, um, he's, I like this. Who are you? Exactly who I theorized I might be. And then we get a little bit of a retcon here. Because if anyone who read The Death of Captain Marvel, 
Captain Marvel died on the on the moon Titan, you know, Saturn's moon Titan. But the Silver Surfer was there. But at that time, the Surfer couldn't leave Earth. So how did he get all the way out to Titan? Well, the scroll was there undercover just to see what they could learn. <laughs> and I like this. I took the form of a hero unlikely to come himself due to his extreme unimportance. The Earth hero called Devil Slayer. <laughs> Imagine my astonishment when Devil Slayer came. That's funny. He's like, crap, he's here. So he changed into the surfer. He's like, with everything going on, everyone being so upset in the morning, no one really thought to question me. <laughs> uh, that's really funny. So they decided to uh, go with that thing, the scrolls, and planted the power in him. And then he was stuck in the surfer's form when that whole the gene bomb, the bomb hit that you know caused all the scrolls to keep the lose their shape shifting abilities. I'm still kind of laughing like he just like a really minor hero, and then that minor hero just happened to show up. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, crap, that guy showed up? Yeah. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> He's really a scroll named Bartak. And yeah, the scrolls are planning on doing what I said in that first episode we did We did this. They're going to use him to make the Kree think that the, scroll, the server's on their side. Now, either... The scroll, so that means either the surfer will have to work with them, or, you know, even if he doesn't, this Kree will still be attacking him. So either way, it works for the scrolls. You know, either they have the surfer on their side working with them, or the Kree's forces are divided fighting the surfer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, either way, they, you know what I mean? Either way, the scrolls are going to win. You know, the scroll, it helps the scrolls, I mean. Yeah. You know, no matter what, the surfer's fighting the Kree. But, Nope. Because guess what? Who came back and tracked him down again? Ronan the Accuser. And this time, he's able to finish the job. Although, I do like how the guy dies. You know, when, the, when he's ready to kill him. He's like, wait, wait, you made a mistake. I'm a scut. And he just thinks about, you know, the Kree and the scroll. He's like, doesn't matter. Do it. <laughs> I, it's a little bit of dignity for him. Like he starts to, he's about to start begging for his life. He's like, you know what? Screw it. Doesn't matter. I'm dead. Do what you got to do. That's kind of like a good resolution to that whole plot line. And Nova goes back for the surfer, and he's back. He's already alive. I mean, he's still he's he's ready flying out to meet them. Mm-hmm. And they kiss. Yeah, like, like there's actually it's not just they kiss. He kisses her. Yeah. I thought there was, like, a big splash page of it, but I guess it's just, like, that tiny little panel there. Yep. But, I mean, that, I guess that's a bit of what would happen in the last issue when he was about Manti. He's like, I accept I love you, and I accept that you're dead, and what you were helping me with. Him getting over being a big baby. <laughs> so, he know he could tell Nova's, I guess, a little interested in him, at least, so he's able to uh, act on that now, as opposed to just being, you know, a, a, a thing of metal, so to speak. There's this big romantic moment, and then... Yeah, we end with a spaceship crashing on Earth, and a scroll cuts out. It was a scroll that was sent by Empress Sybil to Earth. And he's found by some people who decide to shoot him. But before he dies, he does shoot something off into space. And his mission, he says, at least, my, you know, completed his mission. And that's going to be continued next in one week, well, from the when this issue came out, in the Silver Surfer Annual 1. 
which we're not going to be talking about. But basically, that's when the Super Scroll comes back. That's was that's the whole point of him doing what he's doing, is bringing back the Super Scroll. And then we're on to number fifteen next. That's what we're going to be doing with Reed and Sue Richards, and Franklin. Yeah. Oh, Franklin. That's cool. Franklin's going to be in all the issues we're covering. He's a part of the story. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Although I don't remember. I only read 15 recently. So I don't. I, so I haven't reread the other ones yet. So I don't recall if he wears his power pack uniform at all. I hope he does. I, I like have that book been recently published. So maybe. I mean, power pack was still going on at this time. He would have been a member by now, I think. What was it? August, August 88. This is cover dated. So let's see real quick. God, I love the fact that we have these sites. I can just look these up real quick. Makes life yeah. so convenient. It, uh, it does, yeah. Power Pack 39. Yep. Ah. Franklin's already been a member. Ah, that's cool. He hasn't shown up in a few issues, but yeah, he's been a member since issue 17. Okay, folks, it's time to cover our feedback again, and this time it is feedback for last episode, episode 175, our JL May episode. We covered Brave and the Bold, number 13, with Tim Price. And on Facebook, the post about this episode got likes and shares from A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast, Jesse Starcher, Clinton Robinson, Magazines and Monsters, and Joe Sedano. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Pavel L., Diablo Frank, the Bat Pod, Mo Walker, The Daily Rios, Jason Snick Venable, Laurel, Irredeemable Shag, Tim Price, The Podcrasher, Keith G. Baker, Chris Lydon, Coffee and Comics, Hicks But Look for a Flanger in the Refugee Camps, Clifford Riley, History of Comics on Film, Monarch Daffy, Sean M. Myers, Wibbly Wobbly Doctor Who RPG Podcast, Giuseppe Mazzina, Shane Manzer, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Bill, Capes and Lunatics Podcast Network, Viet Nguyen, Alan Sharp, Sean Whalen, and Dave's Comic Hero blog. And on Tumblr, the post was liked by Jeffrey Brousseau. Now, if you want to hear more from me, you can hear me pretty much every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D cast, found on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed, links in the show notes. And on that show, we talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC Comics sci-fi series Legion. Although actually now, we are talking about the follow-up series Rebels from 2009. Also, one of the episodes there was part of the JLMA crossover, just like episode 175 was. So if you want to be thorough in your JLMA listening, do not forget to go check out the L-E-G-I-O-N P-O-D cast, episode 141, where we talked about Brave and Bold issue 4, featuring Supergirl and Lobo. And also, you can hear me on the Magazines and Monsters feed in one of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics episodes, where... Bill and I, Billy and I talked about Werewolf by Night, issues 13 and 14. All right, you have things you want to say to me. You have comments about these episodes. You just want to like and share the show. All those are awesome things. I thoroughly support you in those decisions. How do you find us? Well, if you want to send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. On Facebook, go just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box and our page will come up. Tumblr, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com, and on Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. And by the way, I keep forgetting to do this, so I want to start doing this now. All the synopses are not written by me. I find them on marvel.fandom.com. Finally, this show is part of The Collective. 
the collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances. And you are going to hear a promo for one of the other collective shows, well, in a few minutes. But first, we got a backup feature. All right, and now we got a little backup feature here covering a backup feature. And this time to cover this backup, we have John Wilson, John and Wilson back. Hey, John. Hello. It's almost like I never left. I know. You just keep coming back. Like uh, Mr. Johnson's yellow cat. Yes. Cat came back the very next day. (laughs) You thought I was a goner, but I'm not. Yeah. No, he's here, people. And we are going to talk some high evolutionary and warlock. Adam Warlock. This is like some old old home stuff for John. This is kind of crazy because we are recording this on the eve of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 coming out. Mm-hmm. And so like by the time this episode comes out, everybody will know about that movie. But like as we're recording it, it's still in our future. Yeah, we still don't know what kind of Adam we're going to get. I think we're going to get a golden one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, like, are we going to get him? Are we going to get Counter-Earth version? Are we going to get like, you know, Starlin, you know, Space Jesus? No idea. I expect it's going to be something close to the, um, like, Annihilation and post-Annihilation Adam Warlock. But I honestly, they, they could do anything, and I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, any of them. Hey, they're all a Warlock. We'll find out soon. But we are talking about the appearances they had in some of the Evolutionary War backup stories from 87, no, 88. That's right. So today we are talking about the high evolutionary backup story from Spectacular Spider-Man Annual number eight. Yes. And there's a whole bunch of stuff. You look at the cover that involves Spidey and Gwen Stacy and all that stuff and the Gwen Stacy clone. And we are going to completely ignore all of that. Which until this point is the only part of the annual I had read, because when you're reading an annual involving your characters, you focus on the parts involving your characters. And I have never read the entire Evolutionary War crossover, and so I have never read, like, all of these evolutionary backups until just recently. And now I am much better versed in the High Evolutionary's backstory, which turns out um, it's interesting because, well, we'll get to the synopsis in just a second, but, like, we're picking up with the High Evolutionary at a point where my podcast, Make Ours Marvel, left off with him. Because he oh, evolved wow. himself into like the higher deific state. And I remember thinking, so what's the transition between here and him showing up in the Warlock series? And I remember going to Chronology Project, like, nope, there are no other appearances. So he just um he just does that. Yeah. And this is the first, I guess, written explanation of how he went from point A to point B. Oh, and that's kind of funny. So because so you ended Makar's Marvel right before, you know, right when he changed into this deity. And then you joined, came on my show right about the time he stopped, you know, he when he came back again. Right. And it's a pretty big number of years between those two. Like, the High Evolutionary was off the table for a long time. And then so they decided to use them in Marvel Premiere and in the Warlock series. Yeah, because that was, what, 68 is where you guys ended off. Mm-hmm. And the Warlock series was, like, I believe, 72. Right. So four years of not not showing up, so... But yeah, so hold on, everyone. I'm going to drop in this quick synopsis, and then John and I will be right back. Spectacular Spider-Man Annual Number 8 The High Evolutionary Backup Story 
Chapter 10, The Son of Earth. Writer, Mark Rumwald. Breakdowns, Ron Lim. Finishes, Tony DiZanuga. Colors, Gregory Wright. Letters, Ken Lopez. Cover art for the issue is by Sal Busima. Editor, Ralph Macchio. Cover dated, 1988. On sale date, July 5th, 1988. With a cover price of $1.75. You can find this reprinted in The Evolutionary War Omnibus from 2011 and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited and other digital comic sites. Having ascended to godhood, the High Evolutionary has begun following other intellectual pursuits. Using his powers to fuse a number of meteors together into a base of operations, he then willingly devolves himself to human form. Utilizing the secrets he learned, he decided to learn all he could about the evolution of life on planet Earth. With his scientific genius, he creates Counter-Earth, an exact duplicate of Earth that existed on the opposite side of Earth's sun. Seeding the world with life, he then sped up its evolution to the dawn of man. Unfortunately, while resting, the High Evolutionary was off guard when the renegade new man known as the Man-Beast used the High Evolutionary's devices to teach humanity the ways of violence. The High Evolutionary hoped his humanity would be able to avoid a history of violence like the life on his homeworld, and he punished the Man-Beast for this evil act. At the same time, Adam Warlock emerged from his cocoon. He came to the aid of the High Evolutionary and convinced him not to destroy Counter-Earth, as he saw a spark of goodness in the life he created. Adam Warlock then asked to go down to Counter-Earth and guide humanity and protect it from the evil of the Man-Beast. However, despite Adam Warlock's attempts to purge the evil of the Man-Beast, he found himself crucified for his troubles. With the help of the Hulk, the terror of the Man-Beast was ultimately purged from this world. Soon after, Counter-Earth was under threat from the world of our known as Galactus. The High Evolutionary managed to repel Galactus with the aid of the Fantastic Four. Soon after, Adam Warlock returned, thinking that Counter-Earth was destroyed by the High Evolutionary. Warlock's perceptions at the time were being clouded by the Soul Gem. Before the Evolutionary could talk sense to Warlock, Adam blasted him with the Soul Gem. Instead of dying, however, the High Evolutionary reverted to his godlike form once again. We are back. Yeah, Mark Grunewald is the master of taking all these things and mixing them together. Yeah, he had his work cut out for him with this backup series with the High Evolutionary. And he took a lot of disparate elements from a lot of different sources from throughout Marvel's history at this point. Because earlier chapters involved young Jessica Drew and, you know, lots of things that have been done over various different points in Marvel's history and puts them all together. And yeah, so now we get to the evolutionary, like, devolving himself back to a super-evolved human, but not a god anymore. Yes, and you know he's godlike because his arms are crossed the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except he still has to take naps, which, you know, lets demons come in and mess things up. Yeah. <laughs> it's always bad when gods take naps. It always causes problems. Right. I do like the idea. I was actually kind of uh, fascinated by the idea that he would know which genetic mutations had to happen. So instead of waiting many generations for them to happen by chance, he would directly cause them one yeah. after another. And also operating within a condensed time frame, he just got to evolve the species really quickly. Yeah, that and also how he actually creates the world, like doing the same thing with terraforming this, the, you know, this lump of rock into a planet, filling with the magma and then and then sending rain on it and all the, the amino acids and everything he needs to uh, start life. Right. 
I'm surprised he didn't do all of that while still in his godlike state, but I guess in his godlike state he wouldn't really care. So he's actually doing all of that with spacey technology. Yeah, he didn't really have that idea until he actually was in a physical form again. Right. I was going to say human, but who knows if he, how human he is underneath that armor. Yeah, he calls himself human, but he's like super evolved human. However, he apparently does not have like the giant um, phallic cranium and long fingers and everything else that Superman had whenever he was 100,000 years advanced. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I guess the evolution in the DC universe is a little slightly different than Marvel universe. Right. I guess it's, yeah, it's a DC versus Marvel thing. They're going to evolve differently. So future humans are different in the two universes. That's how you can tell them apart. Yeah. Well, I mean, they already established in JLA Avengers that the, the planets are slightly a different size. That the DC universe is actually a little, the DC Earth is actually a little bigger to, uh, I guess, to accommodate all those extra cities that we ha- they have in there. Like Metropolis, Gotham, Bloodhaven, Opal City, etc. So uh, we get to Adam, like, spying on the high evolutionary. I didn't remember him doing that, like, outside of his cocoon. Like, his consciousness was spying somehow, then yeah. he decides to wake up. That's how they were talking when he first, when he picked up a cocoon, he was talking to Adam that way. It's like Adam was still unconscious, but he was talking to his, you know, it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a, you know, Marvel way of talking to somebody in a coma or unconscious or something. Adam was still in the cocoon, but the high evolutionary was able to chat with him. And then, yep, it's time for naps. He's so exhausted, he had to take a nap, and that's when the man beast decides to show up. And decide now. We still they don't explain though here. How did he? It's always a weird thing. It's like how did he do this? Where he evolved them to have like no violence or evil in them. See, that's that's interesting because I, I think that gets like you know philosophical views on human violence and where it comes from. But I think that like that's my personal view on biology and psychology and how it all comes about, I think this is a misguided view on what human violence is all about. You know, the, uh, the mythological concept that somebody had to put evil into the world when the, the, the need to survive and the fact that our needs aren't met or that our wants are in conflict with other people's wants. That's all that violence is. It's just it's just people not having what they need, and so they have to act irrationally, or what they want is in conflict with someone else's wants, and they don't manage that, you know, peacefully. And animals do the same thing. Yeah. Um, the the reason that the animal kingdom is such a violent place is because they're all hungry, they're all starving, mm-hmm. and we have lots of evidence in today's world where if you put an animal in a more stable environment. They're no longer the savage creature, at least not as much so as they used to be. No, I mean, look at dogs and wolves. Right. But even yeah. even like, you know, other, you know, still wild animals, if you just find one and can raise it from a baby, they'll, they're, they're a lot of times they're not nearly as like you would find them in the wild. Yeah. But anyway, so we'll go back to our buddy, Adam, you know, after the man beast attacks and, you know, puts evil in there, Adam pops out his cocoon. And then the man beast, you know, runs away, of course. And this is when we get to the whole central theme of the original Warlock show series, if you remember. <laughs> As the High Evolutionary says, only one course is open to me. Decimate my counter-Earth. Leave it no more than cosmic dust. <laughs> I want to kill the Earth! Back to that old story again. I mean, he whined about that, what, every issue, I think, at least? At least once yes. or twice? Yeah. 
and Adam wants to save it. So he sends him down. And we get the whole Adam being crucified while the Hulk fights the man beast. It, you know what the funny thing is? None of these things explain to us where he finds the soul gem. No, in fact, I don't even think we see him give it to Adam in this version. No. And in fact, they did not even draw it on him when he's being crucified here. No, there is a scene on the very last row of panels. But beyond that, no, there is no soul gem. It's very, it's, it's barely acknowledged until he decides to kill the high evolutionary over the whole missing planets thing, which I'm going to have to pick your continuity brain on that because I thought that that all happened way after Warlock was dead. That, well, well here's the thing. That, that was the backstory from the Marvel 2 and one issues we did with the mm-hmm. Thing and Moondragon and Starhawk. Right. Where they, her went, and her, where her wanted to find Adam Warlock and they went to the high evolutionary and the high evolutionary, well, actually that'll come up next issue. So yeah, but my thought was that those issues happen after Warlock is dead, isn't that right? Yes, yes, but the attack on the attack on the high evolutionary is a flashback then. Okay. Even though it's a flashback that never occurred. It's something that possibly would have, I guess it's something they theorize, that was theorized would have happened based on the way the Warlock series was going that Starlin was doing, but since it ended beforehand, because the Warlock series ends with 15 with the, the, the uh, you know, after he kills him, you know, kills himself in the future, and he's told it's only been several months, everything's been ruined, everyone I know is dead, everything I fought for is gone, I have nothing left. But then it, the series ended, and then we get Adam back again, it's those two annuals, the Avengers annual and the Marvel 2 and 1 annual, where it starts off with uh, Thanos killing Pip and Gamora. But there was, you know, the only other thing he had in his life really was Counter-Earth and the High Evolutionary, and that's not touched on at all. So I guess when they did the Marvel 2 on issues, they kind of speculated, well, something had to happen in between, you know, what about this part of his life? And they kind of filled in blanks. And that's what we get here, too, is... He thinks that the High Evolutionary got rid of Counter-Earth, even though he didn't, and he splashed him with a soul gem. So this happened at some unspecified point during Warlock's life before he died. Exactly. And Sometime between Warlock 15 and the Avengers Annual 7. Right. Okay. So, and then that ends up with Evolutionary once again, his deific soul leaving his body, which seems to be his thing now. Now that he's been able to evolve himself to a god once, anytime his body dies, his existence is just going to continue, which we're going to see you know, more next time. Yep. But that's it. Yeah, nothing really special. Just kind of, you know, recapping the stuff that happened. And putting it in the context of the evolutionary's life, which, again, um, I recommend reading the evolutionary backups at all in one strand, um, but it is a convoluted journey. Most of the early chapters form a pretty logical narrative because you have the story of, like, the human version of the high evolutionary before we ever actually meet him in continuity. Um, it's when you start getting to the incontinuity Marvel stuff that was told in comics that things start being like, okay, so how do we get from here to there? Okay, now how do we get from there to the next place, et cetera? Yeah, how do we mix in Jessica Drew and, you know, Mount Wendigor and, you know, the Demon Chathon and all that fun stuff? And the Maximoff twins, all that stuff. Yeah. 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 How do we mix all those in? Which is really weird to think that they're all combined. Right. Right. But that's all for this time. So, John, where can people find you? 
Depending upon when this comes out, um, I have a podcast that is wrapping in June of 2023 called Superman in Crisis. So that is talking about the um, uh, end of the pre-crisis Superman. In earlier episodes, we covered every issue of Crisis on Infinite Earths and every Superman adventure that's published alongside them. And we're working our way towards the end of that version of Superman in Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow at the end of June of 1986. So the episodes are dropping on the end of June 19, uh, 2023. After that... Um, I have no podcasting plans. I am currently working on a Babylon 5 show that will debut in 2024. And uh, until then, uh, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Well, I'm sure as long as John's willing, I'm sure he'll you'll be able to hear him back here at, you know, plenty of times. Yes. And yeah, these should be coming out around the same time. Around Ju- These should be coming out in June of 2023. All right. Fantastic. So you can go back and go catch up on a show before it ends. Or just start listening anyway and listen at your, at your own pace until you get to the end. It's really, it's an interesting time period. I've always been fascinated by that DC time between the end of Crisis and when they restart everybody. Yes. All right. And now. Hey, Ray. Yes, Connor. What's black and white and red all over? Huh. A newspaper? Not even close. Hmm. Uh, sunburnt zebra? What are you doing, Ray? <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. A weekly podcast coming to you from the High Priest of Conchu. Available on all good podcast catchers. Well, that ends this little mini story about, you know, the search for the contemplator and the fake silver surfer. Yep. Nice and simple. Nice and simple. I'm looking forward to how this uh, arc concludes. Yeah, and we're gonna get we're gonna get a lot more cosmic. Hopefully, I can pick up all the issues. So hopefully, they. I know there's like like a the late. It's mostly the early issues that weren't available. The later issues were a lot fuller, so I'll blag get some. Oh, good. When I go to comic store next week, so yeah, so good storyline. I, I like uh, uh, Joe Stanton is a little bit more of like the the house style than Mar- Marshall Rogers, but you know I like that like art. I like the way he draws fight scenes. He's a good artist. He has his own style, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. I you know, just I really to- like. Nova as a character, you know, she's pretty fun. Oh yeah. No, she's a, she, I I like her. I you know, the fact that she has a she's a good supporting character for him because, you know, she has a similar power level. I mean, the only reason she doesn't participate in any in some of the fights is because like the one of him, you know, it's really just the fight between the two surfers and it's because he asked her not to. Yeah. Otherwise, she is basically the same power level as him. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they both have, like, uh, the power cosmic, so. And plus you don't have to worry about the whole thing of, well, how is she in space with him and blah, blah, blah. You know, we don't have to worry about all that stuff. Yeah, it was also nice seeing uh, Ronan the Accuser. Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of Kree so far, but they've all been just unknown Kree. 
Yeah, it's just I, the Kree where like all look like uh, you know Captain Marvel. They all wear the uniform. Yeah, it's nice to see a familiar face. Yeah. Speaking of that, I was just doing a quick look. No, okay. I was just look. I was doing a quick look on the death of Captain Marvel. I was looking to see if maybe one of the scenes where you see everyone showing up, if like you see two Devil Slayers by accident. Oh. Like I know why they had the Silver Surfer. You know, like that. I mean, I know why they they you know obviously the Silver Surfer was a mistake, but I was just wondering if maybe they went further and were like, hey, someone drew Devil Slayer. You know, Starlin accidentally drew Devil Slayer twice. You know, let's use that. But I only see one of him. It was just a thought I had. Maybe maybe they changed it. I, I don't know. Not that I recall. I mean, it's possible, but it, it was kind of cool that they like decided to take that like bit of air and they actually kind of played with it a little bit. Yeah, no, it's fun when they can do something like that. It's not just oh, let's hit, let's explain this retcon. We actually used it. You know, it was part of the story. It was part of the story, yeah. But, yeah, I'm looking at everyone who's there, and yeah, Devil Slayer might be the most obscure character in the scene. I mean, the only other possibility would be the Gargoyle. Oh, the Gargoyle's there? Yep. Yeah, we got the Inhumans. Deep cut. (laughs) Well, that's because they would have been part of the Defenders at the time. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm assuming... I'm not, I wasn't checking Defenders covers, but I know they were part of the Defenders during the later era, so that's my assumption. Because Valkyrie's there, too. Yeah. And Nighthawk. And so. Anyway, okay. I just wanted to check on that real quick before we finish the episode, just to see if that was part of it. All right, well, it's time to head out, I think, so let's go tell people where to find anything from you that you want to tell, that you want them to go look for. All right, awesome. I'm Ren Chandler for Ren underscore Chandler for on Twitter. Um, you can also see a link to my uh, medium on there. Um, still nothing, but you know, ideas always come into my head. So you never know. Hope, hopefully I'll get something in by the end of the month. So, or when I'm well, recording this in um, April. So yeah, and this will be up, I think in early July or no June. Sorry. Hopefully, if you check by then, yeah, maybe there'll be something up there. If not, keep checking. Links will be in the show notes. Awesome. All right. Always great to do this. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.
using, utilizing, yeah, utilize, yeah, 